Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of the First in Orange podcast. This is Denver Post sports writer Kyle Newman, joined by a special guest co-host for today's show, DenverBroncos.com lead writer Eric Delala. Eric, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, of course, Kyle. Happy to be here. So, big news came out yesterday via ESPN that we'll be talking about. The Broncos named one of four finalists for the Sports Humanitarian Team of the Year Award. We'll be discussing that, and in that vein, Futures Football, which basically saved football in Denver Public Schools. So discussing that, the Broncos outreach in the community, and then as well as a brief schedule breakdown of the 2020 slate, highs and lows for the Broncos, enticing games, tough stretches, etc. So Eric, let's start off with that uh, Humanitarian Sports Team of the Year award. Broncos just the second NFL team to be named a finalist for this award in the six years ESPN has been giving it out. I mentioned the future is football, but as you know, the Broncos uh, community outreach goes far beyond that, and uh, it's five-tiered approach. And I got to say, you know, from just from a journalist, from a guy growing up here, seems like a well-deserved uh, award for this franchise. Yeah, like you mentioned, Kyle, just the second NFL team to get this award. The 49ers in 2017 were a finalist, and they actually won the award. So I think that kind of bodes well for the Broncos here. But just a lot of different things went into this award. I think the main one is the Denver Broncos Boys and Girls Club. The Broncos are the only professional sports team to fully fund their own branch of the Boys and Girls Club. Um, and we've seen what kind of impact they've had there. It was supposed to be a five-year deal when Pat Bowen initially started this, and it's now in its 17th year. They opened the Darren Williams Memorial Teen Center um, after he passed away. Uh, you know, that's made a big impact. So to me, that's kind of the pillar that the Broncos stand on. But, you know, in 2019, more than $1.5 million in, in grants, uh, seven, more than 1,700 hours that the players put in off the field, in addition to uh, you know all their other responsibilities. And then you've got partnerships with the Food Bank of the Rockies, the Denver Rescue Mission, like you mentioned, Futures Football. So um, it's not one thing necessarily here, but kind of a recognition of all those different programs. Uh, and like you said, I think to the organization, this means just as much uh, you know, as any of these division titles, Super Bowl titles. I, I mean, it feels like a big deal in the organization. Like I said, Broncos Community Outreach consisting of five focus areas, youth development, quality of life, health and wellness, youth football, and civic engagement. Of course, Pat Bowen, well-known for his quote, we want to be number one in everything. And uh, Allie Engelkin, the Broncos Executive Director of Community Development, you know, she really takes pride uh, in what the Broncos do in the community, obviously, and, and the recognition here by ESPN. And like you said, bodes pretty well for the Broncos to potentially uh, win this whole thing. They got a $25,000 grant for being a finalist, could get another 75 k grant if they win. That'll be announced at the ESPYs. But Eric, let's focus on the football, the futures football here for a moment. You know, I did a story, I think, last year on it, and I see you just got a fresh piece up with Philip Lindsay talking about the impact of the futures program. Obviously, Lindsay, beneficiary of that program coming through Denver South High School. And from my reporting last year, I'm not sure what you dug up this year, Eric, but I mean, it's it's no stretch to say that this program, this futures football program, helped save football in Denver public schools just from a you know equipment standpoint, from a numbers standpoint. It's it's done a lot for football in the city of Denver. Yeah, the program started out back in 2008, and Lindsay was part of their first season there in 2009. 
um, and really kind of led the way there. And if anything, he shows what you can become from this program. Uh, you know, making the NFL as an undrafted player, obviously played college football at Colorado. But, you know, there's thousands of other kids who have come through this futures program, and the Broncos have in some ways made that possible. Um, and not just the futures, but like you mentioned, Denver Public Schools football, they invest nearly $500 per player every season for equipment, uniforms, training, you know, everything that goes with tackle football. And for a while there, it wasn't, you know, very clear if high school football in Denver public schools was going to last because right. they just couldn't compete against some of these other leagues. Uh, and since Futures football started, participation's up by more than 25% across the board. Some schools have seen more than 60% uh, growth in their participation in football. And now you've got 17 teams with, you know, 30 to 40 kids per team across um, seventh and eighth grade. It now involves Aurora Public Schools. And I talked to uh, the current head coach at Denver South because when Philip was there, uh, his uncle was leading the charge, but yeah. now it's Ryan Marini. And like you said, he said DPS football was in trouble. We couldn't compete. And the Broncos saved DPS football. And so, uh, you know, you've got other impacts like Broncos players coming out just to uh, do visits and talk to them as part of this true man program that's been set up. But I mean, that monetary funding essentially made sure that kids at Denver South and at high schools all across DPS can continue to play football. And again, folks, just so you're clear, the Futures football program is a feeder program that helps out with seventh and eighth graders, um, spring tackle program. And like you said, you know, been around for 11, 12 seasons now and has, has breathed some life back into not only Denver uh, middle school and high school football, but also stretching into APS as well. So just one part of the Broncos, you know, community give back and, and one notable part, especially if you're a football fan or a youth football fan in the Denver area. Again, this is the first in orange podcast, Kyle Newman, alongside my guest co-host, DenverBroncos.com lead writer, Eric DeLala. And Eric, uh, on to the final segment of the show here, breaking down the schedule. Obviously, that was released just a few weeks ago. And uh, Broncos opening the season on Monday Night Football uh, against the Tennessee Titans. But when you look at just general first glances from the schedule, you know, what intrigues you the most? Yeah, you know, I think, one, you've got to get off to a good start there early against the Titans. I know it's a tough team but it's probably one that you've got to chalk that up as a win if you want to challenge uh, for postseason contention. I think the toughest stretch in my eyes is you know week three through five where you play the Buccaneers with Tom Brady at home and then go on the road on a short week to play the Jets. And then, again, the next week are at New England, which has always been a tough place to play. And then I think the Broncos will kind of make, you know, could make a statement there in weeks 12 and 13 where you host the Saints and Drew Brees Obviously, Emmanuel Sanders coming back to Denver for the first time and then go on the road for Sunday night football at Kansas City. Obviously, we know the Broncos haven't beaten the Chiefs in the last nine times. So uh, they've got to prove sooner or later that they can do that. Yeah, to me, Eric, I mean, that October 25th matchup against Kansas City, uh, that first divisional game, of course, that's at home. But I mean, that's going to be a real litmus test to me. You mentioned Broncos have dropped nine straight against the defending Super Bowl champs. I mean, can they prove that they're a playoff caliber caliber team? To do that, I think they got to hang with the Chiefs and and maybe beat them one of the two matchups in 2020. 
Yeah, and we've kind of seen that happen at home, you know, at least the, the Broncos hanging with the Chiefs. Right. Uh, 2016, 2017, and 2018 were all really close games. Obviously, in 18, you had that overthrow from Keith Keenum uh, there at the end that otherwise you beat Kansas City. Um, it hasn't been as easy at Arrowhead, uh, I think, just one one-score game since they won the last one in 2015. You know, I've kind of said a lot, Kyle, that you don't necessarily have to beat the Chiefs. You've got 14 other games on the schedule, and right. if you need to win 10 to get to the playoffs, um, you know, you're in good shape. But I think just from a mentality standpoint, you've got to prove that you've closed the gap at least because the Chiefs outscored them by a boatload last year. Right. That 23-3 to drubbing at Arrowhead in December, the lone blemish on Drew Locke's uh, starting record last season. And of course, this season with Drew Locke at the helm, you know, Cortland Sutton, obviously the hype coming off of the draft and some of the free agents and trades uh, that they made. There's a lot of, lot of promise around Broncos country that the playoff list streak is going to be snapped. And, uh, you know, early predictions from pundits around the country are, have the Broncos just above or just below 500, you know, based on the schedule and based off the momentum of the team. Are you any early predictions from you, Eric? Uh, maybe if you don't want to give a, a, a exact mark, will the Broncos, you know, be in playoff contention in November, December? Yeah, I Kyle, I see a situation where the Broncos are sitting, you know, maybe at six and six late in the season. Um, you know, maybe it's seven and five, maybe it's five and seven, but just in need of a run to make the postseason. And we saw that in 2018, where it kind of looked like they were going to do that. They beat the Chargers, they beat the Steelers, they beat the Bengals, and then obviously Emmanuel Sanders and Chris Harris got hurt, and it all fell apart. But I think those last four games where you play at Carolina, home against Buffalo, at the Chargers, and then host the Raiders to end the year, you could be looking at a situation where the Broncos need to win all four of those to get to 10-6, and six, to get to 9-7, and seven, uh, and make the playoffs. And so I think they'll be right around that 9-7, and 10-6 range. This is a much better team. The defense is going to be better, assuming the cornerback position uh, kind of gets ironed out. And then it's just a matter of how quickly can the offense adjust. And as you mentioned, Eric, that final regular season finale, January 3rd against the Las Vegas Raiders, could prove pivotal, especially if the Raiders and Broncos are jockeying for wild card position, presumably behind the Chiefs. Again, folks, this has been the First Orange Podcast. Sports writer Kyle Newman with the Denver Post, alongside my guest co-host Eric Delala of DenverBroncos.com. Eric, hey, thanks for uh, joining the show. Thanks for plugging your wisdom, as always. And, of course, folks, give him a follow at Eric Delala on Twitter. Thanks so much, Kyle. Appreciate you having me. Folks, until next time, take it easy and be sure to head to DenverBroncos.com and DenverPost.com slash Broncos for more analysis.